A reading from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The word of the Lord. Uh, stay standing one more moment. The worship team, you know, I, I so love this team of people. They're so humble in, in, with their talents, and they work so hard to put together the music that will uh, envelop the message. And uh, they've done this this morning in ways like these two songs, first about freedom, second about the Holy Spirit, and they overlap, and that's really the two points this morning. In some ways, don't need to preach. If you if you took those lyrics to heart, uh, you've got where we're going this morning, and and the reading from Adrian this morning from Galatians. So take a moment to pause, and uh, let the Spirit fill you up. And would you, as you do that, ask the Spirit of Christ in you, in this place, in your heart. Ask the Spirit to teach you what Christian freedom is all about this morning. And that's a worthy ask because we talk about it a lot, but we don't always quite get it. Let's ask the Spirit to, to grow us up in that this morning. Take a moment. Father, we open our hearts to your word. We open our hearts to one another. We open our hearts to you and the Spirit within us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you sit down, as this, just continue to sing that. Would you just make a move toward one or two people that you don't know on your side of the stanchions and just go introduce yourself this morning? Just go do it at socially distanced, acceptable ways. But find someone you don't know. Maybe you do, but you can't recognize them behind the mask. But uh, just introduce. Those of you online with us at home, you can take another moment to, to text somebody and just say, hello, I love you, I miss you. We can't wait to have you here with us at the BMI and the Sunday's coming up. So it's an honor to, honor to have you with us online. All right, you may be seated. Unless you just are in a great conversation, I say keep it going. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Amen. Amen. Listen, you all may know by now, even if you're new here this fall, you may know the Grace City Mission. Kristen Hannigan said it as she welcomed us this morning. Uh, by the grace of Jesus Christ, reconciling people to God and to one another. Now, in the fall of 2019, just two years ago, pre-pandemic, we preached a foundational series uh, where we moved from Genesis to Revelation on the first part of our mission statement, reconciling people to God. 
Uh, you can go back and find that in our archives on, on the website. I recommend it to you. It's deeply theological uh, and uh, the underpinnings of, of that part of our mission statement. Uh, it's entitled, The World Through God's Eyes. So you can go find that. Now this week, or this, this fall, two years later, we're searching out the other side of our mission statement. Reconciling people to one another. Reconciling with one another. Now these two words in English uh, are, tr are translating one word in the Greek, uh, and it's this, um, idea, it, it, this idea that occupies one word, alelon, alelon. Somebody say alelon. Now, I don't just love throwing around the Greek, but bring up that artwork again, if you would, at home and on this screen here, and you'll see the word in the background behind one another. Uh, this is one of those times when it takes two words to do one word. And I love this one word, alelon. Um, it, it's a divine idea. It's used 100 times in the New Testament in 94 different verses. It shows up over and over again, and the major themes that show up are unity, our love, and our humility. And then there's a smattering of other things that fill in the gaps. It talks about bearing one another's burdens, uh, speaking truth to one another, encourage one another, be hospitable to one another. There's also one about greet one another with a holy kiss, uh, but before you do that at the end of this service, make sure you read those things in context. There's a context to that. We just don't go around planting kisses on one another. There is a context, particularly in the era of pandemics, right? Now, we're gonna, I want you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. We're going to move around the chapter. The focus is verses 13 to 16. But we're going to drill down in chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul, up to this point, uh, in the previous chapters, Jamon, has been, has been warning the Galatian church about the rules that they have been submitting themselves to wrongly. And he wants to alert the Gentile Christians in Galatia to a group of Judaistic false teachers who are trying to reimpose Jewish law on that new congregation, that young congregation. So they're saying, you have to observe the Sabbath the way we do. You have to keep the food laws. You must be circumcised. And Paul cries out in chapter 4, verse 9. It's not on your screen. He says, do you wish to be enslaved all over again? So he's using big words, big vocabulary. And then he follows in chapter 5, verse 1. You can see it in your own Bible. There's a slide on the screen. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. So Paul is saying that that keeping the Jewish law will not put you right with God, so don't go backwards. Don't go backwards and submit yourself again to that kind of slavery. Church, here Paul seeks to tell the church what Christian freedom really means, and he gives us two major theological bookends that envelop our text this morning and plant our feet um, absolutely uh, critically in this one another. And it's our title this morning, and it comes from verse 13 of chapter 5, Serve One Another. Serve One Another. Church, serving one another is inextricably uh, wrapped up in Christian freedom. And you might already begin to think, well, that's sort of paradoxical. Serving one another, and yet I'm free. And we're going to talk about that. Let me show you this in our first point this morning, uh, the first song that we sang this morning. And here it is, our freedom to act in Christ. Let's look, drill down as to what our freedom to act in Christ. Now listen, being free in Christ, Marjorie, never means a lack of self-discipline. Okay, can you take that on for a minute? Paul writes in verse 13, the first part, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. In other words, don't muddle liberty 
with license to sin. Are you with me so far? This is going to be somewhat difficult. Listen, it would have been easy for these young Christians in Galatia, or it's easy for this church here in Baltimore or any church in the world today, to interpret their newfound freedom in Christ as permission to do whatever they please. It would have been easy. And of course, what Paul here in verse 13 calls flesh is my sinful nature. Uh, it's my natural state. It's your natural state apart from God, apart from Christ. It's the desire that I have and that you have to go our own way. This is at our core. We want to do our own thing. And it is this, this natural state that separates me from God when left to my own devices. And Paul warns us, don't confuse this with Christian freedom. And he warns us because we confuse it all the time. And we'll come to that as we go on. So here he employs a military term that we translate use. Use, don't use. Uh, it's, it's a much bigger term than that, but we'll go with it. And what he means is don't allow uh, a bridgehead or a launch pad or a starting point to happen. Don't let your newfound freedom in Christ be used as an opportunity for your sinful nature to rear up yet again and do whatever you please. So self-discipline remains central to Christian freedom, which is interesting, right? Because Paul's argument now actually appeals to the very law that he said we were free from, and it, it can make our head spin. Let me show you how, how, this is, how, how this is that we are indeed free in Christ, but free in Christ, but there's also a paradoxical truth at the same time. And here it is. Being free in Christ never means lawlessness. It never means lawlessness. Look at verse 14, and then we'll go back in a moment to verse 13. Verse 14. For the entire law, now he's appealing to the law that he said you're free from, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. What is it? You see it? Love your neighbor as yourself. We all know that. But do you see the paradox? Don't try to get right or stay right with God by means of the law. It's not a source of salvation ever. But it is an indispensable source of moral instruction and counsel. It's not going to save you, but it's always going to guide you. Can you handle that paradox? Because it speaks, the law speaks of God's character. And we are to participate as we grow up in Christ, we're to participate in the character of God. For instance, God says don't lie, not because he wants to, to, to take away our freedom, but because he's a God of truth, and that's his character, and he wants us to participate in that. He says don't steal because he's a God of giving. Great City, we embrace the law because his character underlies the law. And here, Paul declares the law fulfilled in one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So he's already put wheels on the one verse earlier. Let's go back to it and see this, that being in free in Christ is the opposite of selfish individualism. And we got to take this on. Being free in Christ is the opposite of selfish individualism. And we often think, we sing of freedom, we talk about freedom, you see it on social media, I'm free, I don't need to do this because I'm free. God has told me I'm free. And it's the opposite of the way we usually interpret it. Let me show you. In the New Testament, freedom in Christ, and we see it in verse 13. Verse 13 says, the latter half, serve you're free in Christ. You've been called to be free. Therefore, serve one another. Wow. So freedom in Christ means serving other people in love. For their sake, not for yours. This is what freedom means. And that's a massive move when it comes to defining freedom. Your identity is in Christ and in his sacrifice. So don't play favorites. You can't play favorites because he didn't play favorites. 
You don't pick and choose who you care for on the basis of their preference or the payoff it will give you in the end. Followers of Christ serve one another across the board. Now, my mom was good at this in our family. When my mom died several years ago, we held a family celebration just before we uh, held her memorial service and funeral. We had this family celebration sitting in a circle in a living room setting with all the kids, her kids, my siblings, and all of her grandkids. And, and every one of us, as we told stories about my mom, said we were her favorite. We were, we were her favorite. It, now, it was fascinating for me as her youngest of four kids. Uh, it was fascinating for me because clearly I was her favorite child. Everybody knew it. I knew it. But to listen to the grandkids, uh, held, they held this good-natured com competitive storytelling to argue why they were her favorite grandchild. And all of them were convinced they were her favorite. And it happened this way because she was so great at loving across the board, at caring across the board, at serving, and being with her family, at least, being self-forgetful as she lifted up others. And this is a great illustration of what Paul is calling us to in Galatians. You, say, you see here in verse 13, serve one another humbly in love. And we find ourselves, Grace City, in the middle of a bold, gigantic paradox. Martin Luther, in his classic text of the Reformation, The Freedom of the Christian, he wrote it this way this, about this paradox. Listen, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. And a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant, subject to all, at the same time. Take that on. Hold, hold that in your mind for a moment. In, Galatian, in Galatians, the book, Paul waxes on and on about freedom in Christ. He says it this way in another translation of Galatians 5, chapter, verse 1. He says, plant your feet firmly, therefore, within the freedom for which Christ set you free. Three times he talks about freedom in the same sentence. I mean, it's, it's remarkable how he goes on. And then he asks us to accept voluntary bondage to one another. Do you see it? What does this look like today? What is it? Well, let me, let me park here for a moment and apply this to us communally, beyond individually. Because we love to take stuff individually and we can, we can kind of see this and what it means to us. But let's take it as a community, the community of Christ here in Baltimore. And please understand, listen, at Grace City, we often, you'll often hear us say the line, you're not alone. And, and to be honest, we're neither perfect or perhaps even very good at that. And, and I haven't got all of this sorted out in application for the community today. I'm preaching this this morning from the trenches, not from the mountaintop. So I'm in this with you. But here's what I know, and if, if, if you want to have a coffee appointment with me as we go through this, so we can talk about this, because this creates some tension, this paradox creates tension, then please just reach out on, on email and say, hey, I want to get together and talk about some of these things. I'd be happy to do that. Corey would as well. But here's, here's where we start. Christian freedom is never the freedom to have my own way unrelated to my neighbor. Are you with me? Indeed, so far as having liberty to neglect my fellow humans, I am commanded in this passage and many others to love them through serving them. Because, great city, to have an us, we need a them. All too often, we buy into the opposite. It's just about me. It's just about us. And to heck with everybody else. And we see that message all the time, particularly maybe in this day and age. But Paul says in verse 15, take a look at it, if you bite and devour each other. Let me stop there for a minute. Do you see that going on in the world today? Biting and devouring? 
If you do that, you will be destroyed by each other, he says. Wow. We see it happening right before our eyes. And we see this constantly around media and climate and religion and vaccines. And let me park on that latter one for just a moment. Because I want to bring this home in ways that apply it to us as a community. Because the, the anti-vaccine effort among Christians in this country has been plagued by falsehoods and false teaching that Paul is warning about of all kinds. Not only in science, Kristen Hannigan, that I'm not qualified to talk about, but in theology, which I am qualified to talk about. Because here's the deal. No creed, no scripture, or any orthodox expression of Christianity in any way prohibits or exempts Christians from getting the vaccine. Let me, let me break that down. In fact, the biblical view of freedom in Christ that we see here in Galatians, the biblical view of freedom in Christ provides the foundation for why Christians should be first in line to receive the vaccine, not for themselves primarily, but in order to serve one another in love. Are you with me? We must act for the other. For the kid, kids under 12 who can't get it yet. For people who have cancer or transplant where the vaccine doesn't take because their immune systems are already impaired. What does serving your neighbor look like in the midst of a pandemic? Think about that for a minute. What does it look like in the midst of a pandemic? It looks a lot like laying aside your opinions and thinking of others first. That's what Paul is calling us to. And I would say to fellow followers of Christ this morning, if you insist on refusing the vaccine, that is your right as an American. Use that. Stand on those rights, if you will. But your freedom in Christ brings the opposite of that. It's the opposite of individual rights and self-serving. So please don't bring God into that. And let's apply it for a moment across the board. Don't tell me that because of the Christ in you, that you're now free to neglect refugees. That you're now free to ignore the effect of climate change on the poor because it hasn't had that much impact on you yet. That you are free to hate those who think and live differently. That you are now free to marginalize people of color. By the way, Christ was all those things. Christ was a refugee. Christ was poor. Christ lived differently. Christ was a person of color. We're not free in Christ to neglect any of that, to marginalize any of that. That's not freedom in Christ. Tell me it's your preference. Tell me it's your policy. Tell me it's your politics. But don't tell me it's your Jesus. Because we're called to something far bigger. The scripture won't allow it. The church can't bear it. And our witness to the world can't survive it. If that's the way we interpret freedom. In all these things and more, Grace City, the first step is to realize that we're in this together. Anyone can join that club. That's not hard on the brain to realize we're in this together. But the most important step, the heaven step, the I'm free in Christ step, is to realize that we are in it to serve one another. And only the church can bring that to bear. The world doesn't get that. The church must get that. And this is a remarkable paradox. Christian freedom, from one point of view, is a form of bondage, even slavery. We are free in relation to God. We are slaves in relation to one another. And I'm not overstating it. This is the words that Paul uses. Think for a moment about Jesus on the night before he died. We're in the, the uh, farewell uh, discourses of, of the Gospel of John. Think of the servant that he was that night, that Thursday night before he goes to the cross. And I tell you, when I think of Jesus 
in the upper room with his disciples. I'm happy to have him show the way. I'd be a fool not to obey his voice. He is going that night to face the indescribable agony of the cross where he's going to pay for my sin, pay for your sin, which, which we continue to heap upon him. And yet in John 13, verses 3 to 5, look at how he behaves on the cusp of the cross. Take a look. Verse 3. 13, 3 to 5. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knows he's fully God. He knows he's going back to the Lord. He knows he's Lord of all. And what does he do? What does he do with the freedom of being the Lord of all? So he got up from the meal, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet. Just before he goes to the cross, he serves like that. I mean, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. It's the liberty that comes from self-forgetfulness. And it's the very best way to live on this side of heaven, according to the scriptures. That's, that is our freedom to act in Christ. But you, you, you ought to be asking, how does that work? And I, I'm with you, because at, at my core, I am selfish. It is about me. I want it to be about me. So how can we make this work? But here's some good news for you, Grace City. It was in the second song this morning. We are not on our own, Tolu. The master walks alongside. And here's our second and final point today. Christ is in us. Christ in us, that we're free in Christ. That Christ in us is freely acting in us through the Holy Spirit. Remember what he promised on the night before he died. He says, I will ask the Father, and he's talking to us through his disciples now, I will ask the Father, Grace City, to send you another advocate, another counselor. The advocate here is the Holy Spirit, paraclete. Para meaning alongside, clete meaning called. Called alongside. It's a compound Greek word, but let me remind you, the moment you say, the moment you say in your life, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you, forgive my sin, I want to follow you, the moment you repent and believe, the moment you begin to follow Christ, the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and comes in you to begin the work to make you more like Jesus. This is, this is what joins all who follow Christ. It's the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us. Just the way we sing it. Make your presence known. So what happens, what happens, Grace City, when the Holy Spirit meets our sinful nature? What happens when the Holy Spirit of God meets the way we want to go, the way we want to do it on our own, our sinful nature that Paul talks about? And it's a war. It's a war of sorts. Paul describes an inner war which we must fight if, if we will seek to serve one another humbly in love. We're, we're fighting this war in order to be servants of others. And it's going to be a war to serve others, uh, to serve one another like God designed us to. It's a lifelong war, but we're not alone. Somebody say we're not alone. Here it is in verse 16, 17. Take a look. Paul says, So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, what he's saying here is, keep your, keep your finger in that text, but it's not about stopping doing what you're doing. It's, it's replacing doing what you're doing. It's not about telling someone, tell a thief, stop stealing. It's about telling a thief, start giving. It will replace it. Much better way to go here. This is walking by the Spirit. He goes on in 17. For the flesh, you and me on our own, desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. Watch this. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. 
That's your freedom in Christ. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote the book, um, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Some of you might remember that. Been a movie, been many movies. But Stevenson had a Scottish Presbyterian upbringing, and when he wrote Jekyll and Hyde, it was a, a short novella, he, he was coming out of his Presbyterian Christian upbringing to write out of this text. I don't know if you knew this, but he wrote this out of this text to, to give a fictional metaphor for this inner war that goes on us. And, and here, Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll finds himself addicted to the evil side of his personality. And Stevenson, Robert Louis Stevenson is saying, no matter how sweet you might appear on the outside, there is a beast within. And I would own this for myself. Please don't look at me and say, well, he's got all this together. There's a beast within. Just ask my family. They'll tell you. And likewise, with all of us, the outer presentation is not always consistent with the inner spirit, is it? That is why we need fellowship, mentoring, and worship together because it puts skin on the presence of the Holy Spirit as we fight this spiritual battle. Now, let's see the nature of this war real quick. Living by the flesh, we're, we're down in verses 19 to 21, and I'm not going to read it for you, but, so there's no slide for you, but you can follow along in your, in your Bible. Living by the flesh, we see in ourselves this list of sins in verses 19 to 21. Look at the list. Jealousy, immorality, rage, ambition, factions, and many more. And Paul warns that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You think? But please notice something that you may not have noticed about this list. One ingredient that all these things have in common. They all negate the capacity to serve one another. They're all about me. They're all about selfishness. They're all about being offended and letting it out. They negate the capacity to serve one another. They're about control and power and self-gratification, and they occupy a wholly different space than serving one another. Do you see it? But, Paul says, if you live by the Spirit, the text says it's no longer Jekyll versus Hyde. Now within us, free in Christ, it's Jekyll plus the Spirit versus Hyde. We have an advocate. We have a counselor. We have the Holy Spirit on our side fighting this war as we grow up to be more like Christ. So there's a new impulse in us with Christ to please God, which illustrates the real freedom that comes only when we forget ourselves and serve one another in love. And it seems unnatural in this day, in this world, in this century. It seems unnatural. Yet, because we're designed by God, our hearts yearn for this. I remember when, before, before I met Christ, it was in young life. I was early in my 14, year 14 of my life, freshman in high school. And I went on a young life thing where um, it was down to the, where the young life leader, college leaders lived in their house. We were spending the night at the house before we did something else. And I remember that one of the leaders said, Here, here's your bed for the night. And I said, okay, great. And I woke up the next morning and found him sleeping on the floor. He'd given me his bed. And I thought right then, how cool is that? I want whatever he's got, I want in on that. It was compelling to me. And so Paul teaches that such living reveals the fruit of the Spirit. Look at verses 22 to 23. Again, no slide, it's too long, but... You know these fruit of the Spirit probably. What are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of these are good, but notice the one ingredient that all of them have in common, Yvonne. They all contribute to our capacity to do what? Serve one another. All of them are about the other. You may say, well, not joy. 
Not joy, that's just about me. Now, that's the vertical part of freedom in Christ. Because when we take our joy from our relationship with Christ, it's going to naturally flow that we serve one another to give that away. So I'm going to argue with you. Well, let's have coffee if you want to argue that one. Grace City, as Christ inhabits us through his spirit, that spirit will produce that kind of fruit. It's not in you by yourself. You may think, oh, no, I'm really a good person. God loves me because I'm a good person. No, that's not scriptural. God will produce this in you in a divine way, in a heavenly way, in a maximal way. Now, I'm I'm not making this up. Look at Philippians 1.6 on your screen. It says this, he who began a good work in you from the day you met Christ will carry it on to completion. Church, this fruit will grow in you because of the Christ in you, the spirit in you. We don't always see it. Often we feel worse. Uh, after we meet Christ because we realize the standard that we're going for and we go like, I can, I remember, I remember meeting some twins when I was a young life leader um, as a college kid, meeting some high school twins and, and the, 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 there was a boy and a girl and the boy had just become a Christian. I remember talking to him at a function and the boy said, uh, he was 16 or so and he said, I, I, I don't, I can't be a Christian anymore. I mean, he's like three weeks into it, right? And, and he says, I can't do this anymore, Jerry. You know, I can't do it. I'm, I'm doing this and this and this and that. I just can't, I can't figure this out. I got to get out. And then, and I say, hey, listen, let's have, let's, let's meet up later on and, and we'll talk some more about it, you know, the way you do. Then I met his twin sister across the room about a half hour later in that same event who has, had not met the Lord yet. She was still checking. She goes, I don't know what you've done to my brother, but he is so different. He's like, his whole life has changed, and I want to know more about it. You see, we don't always see it in ourselves, but people will see the fruit in you. Take that seriously. It means something. Grace City, as Christ inhabits us through his spirit, that spirit begins to produce this kind of fruit. Because in Christ, and only in Christ, only through the spirit, we are putting the sinful nature to death. Paul says it this way in verse 24. No slide. He says we are crucifying this fleshly attitude, this natural state. We're crucifying. It's a slow death, Grace City. This is a process. Growing up in Christ is a process. It's, it's best to focus on replacing it more than stopping it. You want to grow, practice. Practice. Pra- Somebody say practice. Practice serving one another. Even if it's awkward. Even if you don't want to do it. Especially if it's awkward. Especially if you don't want to do it. Practice it then. Because as you look at the fruit of this As a matter of fact, I'll put it this way. As you look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, love, self-control. As you look at that list, what one or two things, just just look at the list yourself, this very individual for a moment, what one or two things would you say, hey, this is what I need more than ever right now. I am not good at kindness. And I need prayer for that, and I need someone to to walk with me on that. Can, Can you... Raise your hand if you could identify one or two things for yourself. I'm not going to ask you to call it out, but would you put that, write that down in your notes or in your text yourself? Write that and then ask somebody that you trust and love to say, hey, would you pray with me this year about growing in kindness, gentleness, self-control? Would you pray with me about that? And then let's talk about it a year from now. I think that kind of practice is how we grow. We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. And I'll close with this, but... In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, take a look. Watch this. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. Self-sacrifice, service, suffering. Here in that verse lies the power to live joyfully by a set of values that are utterly incomprehensible to the world. Because church, when we serve one another this way, we please Jesus. Look at Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, Grace City, and you know, he says, to, therefore, I'll substitute Grace City. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Serve, serve, serve. This is holy and pleasing to God. John Stott, who was a, a professor of mine back in the day in seminary, he said it this way in his commentary on Thessalonians. He said, it's a wonderfully liberating experience when the desire to please God overtakes the desire to please ourselves. Somebody say amen. It really is cool. True freedom, he says, is not freedom from responsibility to God and others, but freedom from ourselves in order to live for God and others. And Grace City, when we serve one another, we also display Jesus. When I look back at people I've wanted to follow, like that guy who gave me his bed that night when I was 14, when I look back at those, their supreme quality was not their charisma or their preaching or their vision or their humor. It was their servant heart. That's who I wanted to follow. I think that's what compels Baltimore to want to know who you have in your heart. It's always compelling. And, and as the worship team comes up now, I want you to remember one last thing about this. When we serve one another, Grace City, we grow to be like Jesus. We grow to be like Jesus. Look at Romans 8, 29. Church, serving one another is a daily opportunity to be conformed to the image of God's Son, which Romans 8 talks about. We, we follow the most powerful man in the universe, right? Who used all of his power to do what? He used all of his power to serve. And on a micro level, we carry the opportunity to do likewise every day in many, many ways. And we do not live this way because we have to. We live this way because we get to, because we have the opportunity to. It is the honor of our life to serve like Christ. We get to be like Christ as we grow up in serving one another. So could we remember this as we sing, I am set free. We're set free to be slaves to one another. Can you put that together in your mind and your heart as we sing this song? And here it is. We follow a God who is greater than we can imagine, but who stooped lower, lower than we can comprehend in order to serve everyone. Let's stand and sing, I am set free.